Thank you, Malia and Jim. Great reminder, God's goodness is available even now. As we settle into a new series that we have put together to specifically talk about our faith and how to wrestle with what's going on in this season and make sense of it from God's purposes and plan and our ability to trust Him and find footing for our faith and our future. Um, those reminders are really important. And so I'm glad you're with us. I hope you'll be with us for the next eight weeks as we journey through this season that we're in, but we find hope and answers in God's Word together. We're calling the series, Now What? And I have a, a request of you. We're having a little, I, I would say debate is too strong of a, of a word, but uh, I think that the graphic should have a question mark after the word what. Now what? But the graphic artists think it looks better without the question mark. Uh, so uh, chime in. Chime in. Let us know what you think. Question mark or sans question mark. And uh, actually, Anna will keep tabs of it. She's the one that put the graphic together. So basically, you could just say Anna or PT. And PT is the question mark. Anna means no question mark. So there we go. <laughs> it's good either way. Uh, and that's what we're going to be dealing with. And today's sermon we're calling Living in the Shadow of Death. Earlier, Malia read the Shepherd's Psalm, which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And we can all remember seasons, if you've lived long enough, where we've walked through that valley. But it feels like right now we've, we've taken up residence there. We're living in the land of the shadow of death. And so we're going to look at that. And I, I ask you to hang in there with me today because what we need to talk about today will help set the stage for the hope and confidence and, and plans that we're going to discuss in the weeks to come as we look at some of the theological footing that we need to have in order to properly see God's hand in this season. And I, I'll be the first to tell you it's a hard season for our family, just like it is for yours. Vitalina is now seven weeks uh, apart from me, down with her dad. Maybe they're even watching right now with everybody else. And that's been hard for Vitalina and, and me to be separated. I feel like I'm half of a person trying to do my work as a pastor and just trying to function um, and it'll be at least another three weeks before we're together. And so I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm sure at this point, you know, we're, we're past saying, well, this will be a month. No, it's not. It's going to be months and probably years before we uh, will get to what we think is the new norm. And so in the midst of that, is there some way that we can find some footing, some basis to look at this situation where everything seems to have changed in the lens of God's eternal purposes? And so we're going to do that today. And there's going to be three points to what I'm sharing. The first is a harsh reality. Hang in there with me as we look at that. But then a happy, uh, let's see, what is my second point? It's a harsh reality. It starts with an R. 
a happy remedy, there it is, remedy, and then finally, a holy and future recreation. So we're going to take this journey, and that's going to give us some footing for the weeks ahead. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 together. So if you have a Bible, please find a Bible, uh, either electronically or, or one uh, uh, near you. And we're going to read beginning at verse 18. This is a passage that I think really speaks to our situation today because it begins with these words from the Apostle Paul to the first century Christians in Rome, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The word sufferings there is patheme, and it means deep emotional distress. We could take some time and explore what we think the first listeners to this letter were experiencing, but the point here is that what they were experiencing was deep emotional distress in the present age. And so let's walk with them through Paul's words of encouragement. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We'll read to the end of the chapter in a few moments, but we'll pause there. And I want to point out some, some things that we should all be seeing in this. There are two things that are intertwined throughout this passage. The first is the children of God. You might, if you have a Bible, just go through and circle four times the children of God are mentioned. In verse 18, in verse 21, and then in verse 23, we ourselves who are the children of God, and then down in verse 27, God's people. And then four times, the creation is mentioned as well. 
So whatever Paul is speaking about here in terms of our hope, it relates to two things. The children of God, those that have found peace with God through Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, but also for creation. And in that hope, we can both see our present sufferings, but also the promise of God for what's ahead of us. God has promised a glory that will be revealed that makes all the suffering of our current existence pale in comparison. Not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. In the future, that outshines our present. And he talks about several things. He talks two, two primary things. There will be a redemption of our bodies in verse 23. You see, right now what has occurred to us as God's children is spiritual birth. So the salvation that we experience as God's people because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection that made it possible for our sins to be forgiven, that is a spiritual exchange. But God has a bigger plan than just spiritual for us. There will be a day when our very bodies are redeemed. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, that beautiful passage about the resurrection of Jesus when he says, there will be a time, therefore, when this corruptible, this decayable form will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. And so we see that promise, but we also see that there's a promise for the whole of creation to be liberated from its bondage to decay. That's the same word for death. Death brings about decay, destruction. And so this hope and this promise helps us see that even now God's hand is at work for good in our present sufferings. So for now, we find our footing in the reality of our current circumstances and our hope in the promise of a future redemption. And so then when we get to verse 28, when it says, we know that in all things, you might want to circle that if you're inclined to mark up your Bible. I always am. And that's why I replace it every 10 years or so when it's uh, been marked up enough and it's time to start fresh. You might want to circle in all things and then circle our present sufferings and draw a line between the two. Because now he's pulling it together. Because we have this promise that both the children of God will someday put aside all physical decay. Our very bodies will be redeemed, not just our spirits. But we also know that someday creation itself will be redeemed, liberated from sin and death. Because of that, we can see God's hand for good even in this present suffering. See, that perspective is important for us to have. And so here is a, here's a hard reality I, I want to bring to you. Don't put it on screen yet, Dan. Most of us feel like everything has changed. Everything, and, and that's true, a lot of things, our circumstances, our work situation, our, there's so many habits in our life that have changed. But the thing I want you to really see as we begin this series, that on a whole nother level, nothing has changed at all. All that has happened through the Corona-19 virus is that the volume has been turned up on the reality of the world in which we live. That we actually live in a world that is broken by sin and death. So here's the hard reality. 
where we first find our footing in order to move into God's hope. And that is that we live in a broken and fallen creation, a world in bondage to sin and death. This is the reality. COVID-19 is the latest manifestation of it, and it's a dramatic form of it, but it's really no different than what we have been experiencing since the fall of the human race. And so let me just quickly take you through some stepping stones along the way to understand what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. How did the world get broken like this? If you're a Christian and you've been following Jesus for a long time, this may be review, but for others of you, this may be the first time you've heard what the Bible says about how things got broken so that something like COVID-19 could threaten and be such a huge issue for us as a human race. And so, let's be clear, in the book of Romans, which is one of the most amazing books in all of Scripture, Paul says earlier in Romans 5.12 that sin entered the world through a man and death through sin and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. So what he is reviewing is what we see happens in Genesis chapter 3 when in spite of God's intent for the human race, Adam and Eve choose a path contrary to God's direction. And that act of sin brought about death. People often say, well, why would God punish humanity with death? Death was the result of humanity's choice. What God said is, this is what's going to happen if you do this. And it did happen because sin broke God's intent for the human race and for creation. If we go back to that passage, this is what we see God saying beginning in verse 17 of Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We talk a lot in Christian circles about our fallen nature, but we need to remember that the fall impacted everything. God is very clear here. Not only is Adam impacted, right down to his DNA. And this is a hard thing for us to reckon with. As amazing as the human body is, and as much as it demonstrates the mark of creative genius, there is also a brokenness in us. Right down to our DNA. Death was not part of God's original plan. And so all death is unnatural. Death becomes one of the enemies that we fight our whole life, right? And mixed in with that is not just the fact that we are fallen right down physically, not just spiritually, but physically right down to our DNA. We have become mortal in that sense, corrupted. Not only is that true, but all of creation is cursed with us. And more than that, God makes it very clear that from now on, that relationship with creation will be somewhat antagonistic. We now have to work really hard, and we've developed lots of ways to, to make the ground produce. But none of those measures were meant to be necessary. And so what is portrayed here in these early chapters of the Bible is the relationship between a fallen race 
and a cursed earth in which we can still see God's genius and the beauty of his creation and how glorious creation is, as is the human form, but also in both we see the marks of the curse. Creation is enslaved to decay, to frustration. See, that's how we live. Romans 3, 23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So ultimately, that sin nature passes down to all of us, and ultimately, all of us stand on our own as guilty before God, products of the curse. But yet it goes on, and this is where hope begins. Even in this fallen and broken and cursed state, he goes on and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all can be justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so in the same way, in spite of how much turmoil and upheaval there's been in our lives, in the same way we still live in the very same world and are just experiencing it amplified right now. In the same way that situation is true, the light of the gospel and the hope of Christ is also unchanged. Years ago, my family and I, uh, tra- we did a lot of traveling together in our campers, a lot of long trips, and one of our trips took us to Mammoth Caves National Park. There's a picture up there of uh, one of the caves inside this largest underground cave system in the world. Maybe you can put that on the screen. Uh, that was one of the rooms. That's not one of the largest. We were in some huge rooms as we went down with a particular tour group. And at one point, uh, we were in a larger cave several hundred feet below the surface. And there was a boardwalk with wooden stools, uh, wooden chairs for us to sit on. And the tour guide encouraged us all to sit and to pull our kids close. And then they turned off the lights hundreds of feet below the surface, and I had never experienced complete darkness. I realized it in that, that moment. That darkness had a physical quality to it. You, you could touch it. And for the, the, the brief moment that we sat in that darkness, my head went through all sorts of uh, imaginations. I pulled my kids a little closer and thought, what would happen if someone took my kids and if the lights went out for good? And here I was in a place that I couldn't find my way out of. And then the tour guide said to us, okay, I am going to light one of the old carbine headlamps that the original spelunkers used many decades ago to explore. And he lit that lamp, which was nowhere near the lumens that we're capable of producing now in a little flashlight. But in that darkness, that light lit the whole room. (laughs) And I never welcomed a, a, a dim light more because it shined so brightly. And I think that's what this situation gives the gospel and Christians an opportunity to do. The longer this goes, there are going to be people that feel like, I'm not going to find my way out of this. There are people in their homes right now who are already struggling with depression and isolation. And the darkness is tangible for them. 
right? Despair is going to grow. People are going to lose hope. But we have a light that we can shine. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Imagine if we not only got real with the darkness that's around us that has always been there, that's now been, again, you know, brought more into the forefront because of the COVID-19. And if we understood the power of the light that we have to shine into that, this could be a season where amazing things happen. You see, the light is found in the second part of this verse, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the the chapter that I quoted just a few minutes earlier, he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he continues this theme we've been pursuing, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so all those in Christ will be made alive. This is the hope that we have. And that's why Paul begins the eighth chapter of Romans, which we are in primarily right now. He begins the eighth chapter by saying this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death, the very thing that holds our bodies and holds creation captive, we have been set free from spiritually as God's children. And now he goes on into this passage and talks about a future hope that that redemption will go yet farther than just the redeeming of our souls. But we have this happy remedy, right? The hard reality is we live in a broken and fallen creation, a world in bondage to sin and death. It's no arguing that. But the happy remedy is that by Christ's death and resurrection, we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. And this is a spiritual reality today with the promise of a physical reality yet to come, a glory that makes all of our suffering in this fallen world pale in comparison. But now what about creation? We focus a lot on our personal salvation as an individualistic culture that we are. Personal salvation, becoming personally right with God, a personal relationship with God. But does God's plan and redemption work into creation? Well, it most certainly does. Let's let's go back to our passage and let's begin reading from verse 20 again. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this very present time. So the reality is that creation itself, if we could personify it, longs to be released from the the weight of sin and death that it is under, it is held captive by. In the same way, you and I still live in this world and our fallen nature and our, our, our mortal bodies still 
hold us enslaved. In the same way, creation groans for it. And he goes on and says, and we groan with it. We groan and look forward to a time when we will be set free from this. It's a powerful thought. But the reality is, until Jesus does that, COVID-19 is just the new manifestation of the fallen and broken world under the curse of sin and death. I was thinking back to when I was a boy in grade school. We had a K through 12 grade school in a little town, Clinton, New Jersey. Art Marchant and others, if you're listening right now from out there, hello to you. Those were precious times when Vit and I were newlyweds back living there. But when I was a boy, my dad pastored a church just down the hill from the school that I would walk up to, one classroom for every grade. And I remember getting both my smallpox vaccine. I still have the, the mark. People my age all have a little round circle here where we were given the smallpox vaccine. And I also remember standing in line waiting for a little cube of sugar that had a little green dot in it that was for polio. And I received that. And I remember how profound that was as I got a little older and realized the importance of it. Because those two diseases were killing many tens of thousands of people globally. And I remember the almost toxic optimism that was there. That, that this was just the first step. That we would eventually eliminate all disease. There was this great humanistic optimism that we could free society from physical illness and be free to pursue life, you know, uh, free of that fear of, of early death. But of course, that's not a reality. By the way, it was in that same school that I remember the drills where we were taken out into the hallways and we put our knees, our head between our knees against the wall for fear, it was an air raid drill for fear of a nuclear attack uh, by Russia. And of course... That wouldn't have done anything, would it? I remember those days, but I also remember the optimism that we could get past that. And here we are. Here, here are there has never been a century in recorded history where there hasn't been some plague that threatened our lives. Bubonic plague, black death, smallpox, tuberculosis, cancers, our fallen corruptible body killing itself. Malaria, yellow fever, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme disease, Zika virus, Spanish flu, swine flu, Asian flu, Ebola, AIDS, COVID-19. It's not a question of if we will get away from all of these things. The question is just simply what's next? Because as long as we are in this fallen world, we will face threats to our mortality. Death becomes the ultimate enemy in a fallen world. This is the harsh reality that we balance as Christians with this happy remedy and the promise, third point, of a holy creation. Paul promises in Romans 8 that creation itself will someday be freed from this decay in the same way our physical bodies will be freed from it. One day God will deliver all of creation from the curse. I just want to turn as we wrap up to the end of the story for Christians. 
Because it's important that we get honest and real, speak truth and love about our current situation so we realize, well, it feels different, but it's really the same. It's just more clear. And that will help us to shine the light of the hope of Christ into that darkness fully rather than being consumed by that darkness ourselves. But we also have this amazing picture of when what Paul envisioned in Romans 8 comes to pass. It's Revelation chapter 21. Let me just read it for you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And now listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. No wonder our heart groans for that. And creation itself groans. It is pregnant with desire for this to come to pass. And then he goes on and he says, The one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, John that is, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. You see, this is the hope that we have. We know that someday, not just our spirits will be redeemed. God's future for his people is not some ethereal existence sitting up on some cloud, some unphysical existence. God's plan for us, his eternal plan is not heaven. Think about that. It's a new heaven and a new earth with a new city where God himself dwells and where pain is done away forever. That's the hope, right? So just quickly, Paul says, how do we respond to that hope? Let me end with just reading the end of this chapter we've been exploring today, Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? You know this passage, many of you. Now you know what these things are that we're supposed to respond to. It's that promise of a redemption of our bodies and the liberation of creation. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day. 
every day, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's our current reality. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor this current life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that covers it, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see where our hope comes from? It's not your circumstances. It's God's redemptive work in you now, which is a down payment, a guarantee that someday he will redeem all things. That's the light that you and I have to shine. Let's shine it brightly in this season. My wife sent me a text when I was preparing this morning. She had no idea how well this fit into my sermon. It fits so well, it's my conclusion. <laughs> it's a quote from Billy Graham. No matter how foreboding the future, the Christian knows the end of the story, and it is glorious. Don't lose heart. The best is yet to be. Let me pray. Father, these words of hope encourage us, even as we are sobered by the reality of the world in which we live. And Maybe some of us have been living in denial, and that denial of our fallen world has made us doubt you and doubt your purposes and, and struggle if there's anything worthwhile putting our hope in, and yet you've always been clear about the world in which we live. We just live in denial of it. Thank you that speaking truth in love reminds us that not only will we always see our life threatened in this fallen world, but someday, all of that will be done away with. Death itself will be defeated. Tears, sorrow, all done away. The redemption of our bodies. The recreation. New heaven and new earth. Father, thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.